pray all that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome everybody to church. My name is Austin Murray, and I'm the college pastor here. Any college students in the house? Okay, all right. That's better than the first, first service. I think there was one, and uh, it was embarrassing. Um, anyways, I think I have the greatest job on the planet, working with 18 to 25-year-olds, such a formative time in people's life. And today, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to talk about Scripture, but I'm going to start my message the same way everybody here starts their message. And here's a picture of my beautiful family. There they are. This is my wife, Jordana. We're about to celebrate 10 years together. And that's my, yeah, come on. Yeah, give it up. Yeah, she's a very lucky girl to have me. Um, just kidding. Um, that's my son, Callahan. He's five. And then that's my daughter, Dawson. Here's another picture of her. She's turning one this week. And uh, for all of you parents who are judging me right now, that's like Greek yogurt and maple syrup, all right? So it's not sugar. And we love them. They're incredible. And they'll show up throughout this sermon a little bit. But and we've been walking through a series about Ephesians chapters one through three. And the reason why we're doing that is because one, we, we love the scriptures. We want you to be equipped with the scriptures. And in the fall, we're gonna be jumping into Ephesians chapter four. So these, these first three chapters are really about who God is and the, the truths of the Bible, the truths of who you are and your salvation. And then in chapter four, we're gonna talk about what we do with that and the manifestations of these things in our life. And I get the privilege of reading my, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, which is Ephesians chapter two, verse one through 10, which you can open up there. Traditionally, we've been reading the entire verse. We'll have you stand and read the entire verse, but we're gonna do something a little bit different. You know, the college pastor gets to preach, he gets to do things a little different, all right? So I'm gonna do something different. We're gonna read a different verse that is capturing the heart of the message today. And so if you would take your right hand and place that over your heart, and we're gonna read this scripture. It's Psalm 51, verse 12. So read this with me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Come on, one more time. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is the heart of the message this morning that you would be reminded of how saved you are that you would be reminded of the work, the finished work of the cross, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and your faith in him changed everything, that you would be reminded of this. The prior verses in, in Ephesians, we hear Paul's cry. We hear his desire for us. And this is what it says in Ephesians 1, verse 18. We get the heart of what he's writing for. He says that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. So as Paul's writing this letter, he's, he's writing about the love of Jesus. He's writing about your salvation. He's writing about these doctrines and theologies so that you would fully understand and comprehend and grasp the hope to which you've been called to. I wanna recap the last couple of verses in chapter one before we jump into chapter two. And these are the verses. It says this in verse 19 through 22. This is describing the majesty of Jesus, which is what Dorothy talked about last week. And she did an incredible job. But I wanna read these verses because it helps set the scene for verse one in chapter two. This is verse 19 in chapter one. And it says this, and what is this immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet 
and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Everybody say, yes, Lord. Man, this, this picture of Jesus and his majesty, this picture of God in all of his glory, you've got all dominion, you've got all power, you've got all authority, you've got him seated at the highest place he can be seated at. You've got him having all authority. You have Jesus being raised from the dead. And so when we gaze upon the word of God and we gaze upon the scripture, we see Jesus Christ in all of his majesty. We see him in all of his glory. And then we start the next verse, which is in chapter two, verse one, it starts with two simple words. So we got Jesus in all of his glory. And the next two words are, and you. Now, some of y'all, you're like, this is why I came to church. I want to hear what God thinks about me and we'll get there. Don't you worry. But we got all the majesty of Jesus. And then we've got, and you, it's about to lay out who you were before Jesus Christ. And this is where we start in chapter two, verse one of Ephesians. It says, and you were dead. Already very encouraging. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." Now, now, this is not just put together for no reason. Paul actually wants you to see the drastic difference between God and his majesty and you before you knew Christ. Like he wants you to understand that the, the gap between the two of us is vast. So we got God in all authority and all majesty. We got us dead in our sins. We got God seated in heavenly places. We got us children of wrath. And he lays this out who you were. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through these Verses, Because what I know to be true is that if you don't understand how dead you were before Christ, you won't understand how alive you are in him. Like if you underestimate the work that Jesus did to make you alive, you will not live to your full potential in being alive in him. And so what we gotta do is we gotta talk about how dead you were before Jesus. Everybody okay with that? Awesome. I would do it even if you weren't okay with it. So we go back to the very first verse. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In order to grasp this deadness, we have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God creates the very first man and woman. He creates Adam and Eve and they're experiencing the perfect union with God. A perfect, unbroken, unhindered relationship. No sin at this point. No, no brokenness at this point. And God tells them in Genesis 2, 17, he gives them one very specific command. He says this, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Anybody know what happens next in the story? God says, here's the red button, don't push it. And then the few scenes later, they are distracted, they are deceived and they push the red button and God comes to try to find them. And what happens is it says that they will surely die the day they eat of it. But if you know the story, if you don't, I'll tell you anyway, but if you know the story, they eat of this fruit and Adam doesn't immediately croak over and die. Eve does not immediately physically die, but what does happen is their eyes are open to their mistake. Their eyes are open to their shame and they run and they hide and they hide from God. And here comes God and he's asking, hey, where are you? I can't find you. What, have you. what have you done? And Adam jumps out of the bushes and he's like, hey, it was all the woman's fault. Trust me, it wasn't my fault. 
and they confess their sin before God. And then God has a dilemma because he's so holy, because he's so righteous, because he's so good. And because man disobeyed, he cannot have perfect union with him anymore. And so what God does, he says, listen, because you sinned, I've got to separate myself from you. I'm too holy and too righteous and you've sinned and you've disobeyed. So I have to separate myself from you. Thus sin enters the world and death enters the world. Romans 5.12 says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. I don't know about you, but I know about me and I have sinned and I am not perfect. That no one of us is righteous. Romans tells us over and over again, not one of you is righteous. Not one of you seeks God. Not one of you understands. And so death enters the world through sin and sin and death reign over all men. No matter how good you are, no matter the righteous things that you've done in your life, you were born into sin, you were born into death and that penalty of death and that penalty of sin has to be satisfied. And the only satisfying payment for your sin and my sin is death. He says, so you shall surely die. Again, this is not just a physical death, but a spiritual death. Immediately they are separated from God, which is such a tragedy to understand that true death is us being spiritually separate from God. That you and I still have breath in our lungs. And if you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, the Bible would say that you have breath in your lungs. You will walk out of here on your own two feet, but on the inside, you have not experienced true life. So sin enters the world. The penalty of sin is death. And Romans 6 tells us that that penalty must be satisfied. That payment must be made. So let's look again at who you are in Christ or who you are before Christ. This is Ephesians 2, verse 2. It says, following the course of this world. In other words, what you did was all about the world's way. In 1 John, it tells us that there are three things in the world. He says, don't love the world because all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says, that's all that the world has to offer. And before you knew Christ, that's all you knew. You were following the prince of the power of the air. That's like a fancy way of saying Satan, all right? Like there was Satan's way of doing things and that's the path that you were on. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. In other words, you just did what your flesh wanted you to do. And that's actually what you desired. It's what you cared about. It's what you did. Whatever popped in your brain is what you desired to do. I can remember whenever I was a teenager before I knew Christ, like the things that would pop in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. And now I look back, I'm like, that was so stupid. But that's who I was. And then it says this, and by nature, we were children of wrath. Now that word nature is really important. By nature, you were children of wrath. You were not just a good person doing decent things, occasionally messing up and needed a little help. By nature, you were sinful. By nature, you were lost. I love whenever people say this, people always say, and it's probably like someone, actually, I won't say that. People always say, we're all God's children. He loves us all. We're all God's children. And I want to tell you right now that that's actually not what the scriptures teach. Now he does love us all, but if you are not in Christ, you are merely God's creation whom he loves and not his child. This just told us what you were. You were a child of what? Wrath. You were a child of wrath. We're not all God's children until you've put your faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us this, that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, 
And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Are you guys getting the picture yet of how dead you were in Christ? Okay, all right, you here in the front. Thank you for answering me. You're like, yes, I get it, I was dead. Rest of y'all's asleep still. Goodness gracious. It says this, if I'm a child of wrath, that means that wrath is my inheritance. It's what I deserve. It's what I should receive in payment for my sin. And so if I'm a child of wrath, and we look at the title of this series, it's called My Inheritance This is all about to drastically change. It's all about to be violently confronted with these two words. The next verse starts with these two words, but God, but God. Anybody got a but God story in this room today? Anybody been saved? Anybody been healed? Anybody been delivered? Anybody came against a wall, but God delivered you, but God showed up. And if you look at these scriptures over and over and over again, it's the story of human beings, just like you, just like me, hitting a wall, but God. Not being able to get it done, but God. And the reason why I'm reminding you of this today is because oftentimes we forget the very things that matter the most. The very things that mean the most to us. I figured out the, the, the thing that I say to my wife the most, uh, the phrase that I use the most, it isn't like, what's up, baby? I love you. It isn't like, dang, you look good today. It isn't any of those sweet, precious phrases that we use all the time. I found out what I use the most with my wife. The phrase I use is, babe, have you seen my keys? <laughs> Not a joke. That's a five times a day statement. And my sweet, precious wife, she has introduced me to a concept over five times of, of a bowl. It's just a bowl called a key bowl. And what you do is you, you put your keys in the bowl and she'll, she'll walk me over to the bowl. She's like, I wanna introduce you to a concept. Here's a key bowl. And what happens is when you walk in the front door, you drop your keys in the bowl. And then you go in the house and you eat a sandwich, you watch some TV, you work on your work, you do whatever you do. And then whenever you go to leave, you actually don't have to think, where are my keys? Because where are they? In the key bowl. <laughs> and that sounds simple, but I, I'm just clearly not that smart because I forget my, my keys, my phone, and my wallet. Every day I call it the threefold pat down. I'm like, keys, phone, wallet, three phone, wallet. And then sure enough, there's one missing and I go searching. And men, we are drastic. When we lose our keys, we don't just think they're probably in the pants I wore yesterday. You think someone got into your house, a ninja came into your house, stole your keys. I mean, I've gone out. I'm like, they're gone. Someone's got my car. I look out the blinds, my car's there. And I go to drastic measures. I'm like, well, clearly they took the keys. They snuck away. They're gonna come back tonight. They're gonna steal all of our stuff, put it in my car and then leave. And then I hear the faint voice of my wife, found them. I'm like, well, I love you. Again, she's very lucky to have me. (laughs) We forget the things that matter the most. Without my keys, my phone, and my wallet, I can't communicate with anybody. I can't go anywhere and I can't buy anything, which is probably a good thing. We forget the things that matter the most, but we start this next part of these verses with these two words, but God. This is Ephesians 2, verse four through five. It says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
Now, if that doesn't make you wanna smack your neighbor in the head and say, amen, I don't know what will, that by grace you've been saved, that you were dead, that you were a child of wrath, that you were lost in sin, but God, rich in mercy, loved you, saved you while you were still dead. Yeah, come on. Now there's a couple of key themes in this verse and one of those themes being mercy and grace. Now, oftentimes we use these words interchangeably, but they have two distinct definitions and I wanna share with you what those are. So mercy is us not receiving the penalty or the punishment for something that you deserve. So it's us not receiving the penalty or punishment of something that you deserve. So that debt that we talked about, that penalty that you have incurred, that I have incurred through our sinful nature, that that has to be resolved and paid for. So God shows his great mercy that before the righteous and holy judge, we stand before him and when he looks at us, he sees sin, he sees wrath, He sees disobedience. He sees all the things that verse one through three describe. And then Jesus steps into our place, steps between us and God and says, I'll take the punishment. I'll take on their debt. I'll take all of the death that they deserve, the pain that they deserve, I'll take it. Which is why Jesus dies on a cross, lives a sinless life as a perfect sacrifice, is beaten and crucified on a cross because that is where our sin and our penalty was nailed to. And so now when we come before God after we've put our faith in Christ Jesus, it says that we become new creations and we stand before God and God overlooks your unrighteous deeds and he sees Christ. He no longer sees the failures that you've made. He no longer sees the fact that you are a child of wrath or you were lost and dead in sin. He sees Christ and he sees you right and he sees you whole before him. Do y'all get that? That you had a debt that he paid. This is what grace is. Grace is unmerited and unearned favor. So it's being given something that you could never afford. It's unmerited, unearned favor, being given something you could never work for. I'm gonna tell you a short story and maybe this will sum it up for you. So I was in college at one point and Waco summers are odd. All the Baylor students leave. And I remember a buddy of mine, he said, hey, you can just stay with me at this apartment. It's a buddy of mine who owns the apartment. You can just stay with us there for free. And I'm like, come on, good, because I have no money anyway. And so I go and I stay, and it's like one of the nicest apartments near Baylor campus. It's really swanky, really cool, very nice pool. And I'm like, man, this is awesome, right? And then I see my buddy ride up on a a scooter. And he's like, I'm like, that's a cool scooter. And he goes, great, here are the keys. You can have the scooter as well. You can ride the scooter all summer long. You can use the pool. You can live here for free. And I'm thinking to myself like, this is the dream. And so I do what every young man does. When he gets the keys with two wheels, I go and pick up my girlfriend on that scooter. So I'm just like manning it through the streets, you know, just beep beeping around. I go and pick up my girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I uh, call her and I'm like, hey, look outside, you know? And she looks outside, she's like, she's like, is that you on a scooter? I'm like, that's me on a scooter. And I honk, beep, beep, over here on a sawed off motorcycle, like just a little old scooter. And so she runs out, she's all excited. She hops on and she of course is like, is this safe? And I'm like, absolutely. And we take off. We scoot around town, showing off our new scooter. It starts to rain. I'm like, this is dangerous. I take her home. I'm on my way back to Baylor's campus and I'm on a road where there's two stop signs this way and no stop sign this way. And so I'm going 35 miles an hour. I mean, fast, okay? And a lady pulls past the stop sign going this way. By the way, don't do that. Like they exist for a reason. Stop before the stop sign. Anyways, I'm not bitter. 
So this lady pulls past the stop sign. I think she's not gonna stop. My life, my life flashes before my eyes. I slide the scooter on its side. It slides 30 some odd feet. I slide 10 some odd feet and I can only feel pain in my body, okay? I get up and the first thing I notice as I limp is that my shants are torn all the way down my leg. Now shants, let me describe. They're pants that I cut, yes, personally cut them, to make shorts. So I look down and I'm in pain and my shants are ripped, my underwears are hanging out, they're bloody, my leg is bloody, and I get up and I see this sweet old lady who's like this in her car looking at me. And I remember yelling at her, I'm to be honest, it was sin, but I looked at her, I'm like, you need to pay attention. And I get up and by this time there's cars everywhere and everyone's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm not, I just wrecked a scooter. So I get up and I, this is the worst part of it. It was a kickstart. So I'm literally like trying to kick the scooter, start it. The handlebars are bent. The entire side is completely scraped. There's pieces that have fallen off and I scoot back home defeated. <laughs> I get back home, guy comes out, sees the scooter. He's like, well, you gotta call the owner. You're gonna be in trouble. And I'm like, this is not good. So I call the owner and I'm like, hey, listen, here's the thing. Um, I took your scooter out and I didn't even have permission to do that. And I'm really sorry. Here's what happened. I wrecked it. And I tried to tell him how hurt I was so he'd feel bad for me. Um, I wrecked it, the handlebars are bent, the sides really scraped up and he pauses for a second and he goes, it's okay, you're fine. I'm like, well, I'll pay for it, which was a lie. Like I was, I mean like I had no way to pay for this scooter, but I'm like, I'll replace it. And he's like, no, you don't have to replace it, you're fine. I'm just glad you're not hurt worse. I'm glad you're okay. You don't have to worry about it. I'm like, well, when you, when you fix it and you get a bill, call me. He's like, I'm not gonna call you, it's fine. Your debt's paid for it. I'm not gonna hold it against you. You're fine. That's mercy. Now, now, grace would have been if he said, okay, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. My leg's falling off. It looks like I've been in a war movie. Like, I'm, I'm not good. If grace would have been, great, go to the hospital. I'm gonna pay for all your hospital bills. Grace would have been, take the scooter down and get it completely fixed. And I wanna give you the keys to it when it's fixed and I'll pay for that too. Grace would have been, you know what, that apartment you've been staying at that you're staying at for free that I own, you can have the keys to that too. And Grace would have also been, and here's a check for a million dollars while you're at it. <laughs> like like as, as small as that sounds, that's what you received in Christ Jesus. You don't just stand with mercy justified before Christ. He didn't die just to put you in neutral. He died to put you in drive. He didn't just die to make you neutral. He, he heaped grace upon you. He heaped favor upon you. He heaped mercy upon you so that you would know him. He says that he makes you alive together with him. This is grace and story. Now the question is why? And we see that in the middle of these verses. He says in verse four, he says, because of the great love with which he loved you. Now you stand before God justified. When he sees you, he sees you holy and righteous. What a beautiful thing. Then he heaps grace and mercy upon you. Well, why did he do that? Because he loved you. Not because you were worth it, not because you earned it, but because he saw value in you and he made you worthy and because he loved you. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Ephesians 2, verse five, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. I, I don't know about you, but we need to be made alive in Christ. I have never seen a dead person be like, hey, here's the thing, I think I'm low on this certain vitamin. Why don't you give me some more oxygen and help me get alive again? Like no, no dead person is offering suggestions of how to make themselves become undead. In fact, here's a, a picture of what you look like in, before Christ. You were completely dead. 
Like the guy on the left and the guy on the right, they're saved. The guy over there looks like he sinned and needs to repent, but he's still saved. Guy in the middle is completely dead. And if you're under 30, you have no idea what this picture is. <laughs> guy in the middle is dead. This is you. And so you got people coming to church that are like, yeah, I'm alive in Christ, but they've never actually put their faith in Christ. That's who you are. That's what you look like. Yeah. There are people in this room who you come to church because you maybe like the way it, you feel when you come, you, you like the songs we sing, but I'm telling you right now, like none of this means anything or makes sense unless you've put your faith in Christ and he's made you alive. And then all of this makes sense. It's like, woo, I'd rather be here than anywhere on the planet with my family, worshiping God because I was destined for hell and he made me alive with him. He's gotta make you alive. Titus 3.5 says, he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, that all that you once were was washed clean. All that you once did, in fact, all that you will do has been washed clean. And then this word regeneration just simply is translated to, to being born again. When we put our faith in Christ Jesus, you are born again. I see the guy up there in the very top green shirt holding like a two week old baby. Way to go, dad. Like born again, like that, old, like that little baby. That you put your faith in Christ, you're, you're born again in him. You're born again, you're regenerated first. Peter 1, three through four says, blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, here we go again, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. John 3, three, he tells Nicodemus this, this is Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Before you knew Christ, you couldn't even see it. You couldn't experience it. But when you're born again and your faith in Christ Jesus makes you alive again by regeneration, you can now see the kingdom of God. I've got a little girl, you saw a picture of her. She just took like her first steps the other day. She's about to be one in two days. She took her first steps. And of course we're over the moon about that. And all the parents in the room were like, well, just wait, she'll be into everything. We get it. Um, she took her first steps and that's beautiful. But the thing about being born again, if you're a Christian in here, is that there is a lot of grace for you when you're born again. You breathe your first breath of spiritual air. God loves me. Your eyes begin to open and you see your first sight of spiritual life. Your senses become awakened. The old nature is gone and the new nature begins to awaken and grow and process. And then you start to walk in Christ, no longer walking in sin and death, but walking in Christ. And that takes time, Christian. Like give yourself a little bit of grace that even though you're saved, you might still make a mistake here and there because we're growing and we're being sanctified. Second Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the, behold, the new has come. The old is gone and the new has come. You were dead, you're made alive. Jesus is sick of negotiating with your old self. Like, like he's sick of you negotiating with your old self. Like the old self is dead and gone. And so when we try to resurrect it and talk to it and entertain it, Jesus is like, I've got a better way. Sometimes I, I think about like this. We, we treat salvation like an airport. Hear me, here's a story. So at the airport, you do this. It looks a lot like this picture that's gonna come up. That ought to give you a, a bit of anxiety. Haven't been to the airport lately. It's like this, if not worse. It's a TSA check station. And what do you do? You show up with all your what? Baggage. 
And then you walk forward and then you realize that you wore shoes with laces and you're mad at yourself. You realize you wore a belt and you're like, a belt, I should have worn those other things. You realize that, that you're gonna have to take off everything and you never quite do what they want you to do. Am I wrong? Like in the amount of times, like this is actually a true story, okay? I get pulled aside. I'm with Jimmy. We're traveling to World Mandate Midwest. And so I'm not trying to impress him, but I'm trying not to do anything stupid, all right? I'm just gonna be frank. And so the TSA guy, he pulls me aside and he goes, hey man, um, you got some firearms in your bag? And I'm like, I hope not. No, I don't, I don't think. And so he's like, uh, he's like, come here, what's this? And he opens my toiletry bag, soap, deodorant, all the stuff. And there's a, a rifle casing in there. Now, yes, I, I enjoy shooting. I enjoy the outdoors. And I'm like, I don't know. I, don't, I must've been brushing my teeth in a deer stand. I, I don't know <laughs> why that's there. In fact, I like this, this graphic, but it would be better if there was, no, 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 go back to the inheritance one. I'd like this, but if there was a deer feeder right there, I mean, that'd be nice. And I'm sitting in a deer stand with a cup of coffee. Anyways. And so I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know how I got there. And I don't get in trouble for it, obviously. But Jimmy's like, hey, what's up? I'm just like, dude, I don't know. I don't know how I got there. Anyways, we treat it like the airport. So we we put all of our baggage there. We put everything. And then we go through the, the line, the thing that squirts air all over you. I really still don't know what that does. And then you walk through and they pat you down. And then what do you do? You turn and you're humiliated because you're in your unders and you gotta put your shoes back on, your belt back on. You don't know where to stand or where to go and everybody's doing the same thing and we put everything back on. But I wanna let you know that salvation is not like that. You don't get saved and then go, God, thank you so much for all that you've done for me. I'm gonna walk back in the old things I used to do. Whenever you get saved, you come before God and he goes, hey, forget it, all that gone, dead been crucified with me, but what I have for you is a brand new bag and it's got a brand new set of clothes in it and it's got a brand new heart in it and a brand new mind in it and a brand new destination for you. Here's a ticket to a place that you never thought you'd go and you get saved and you put your faith in Christ and the life that you once lived is drastically changed by the grace of God, not by any work that you can muster up or do. One of the greatest tactics of the devil is to just try to convince you that your old self is not dead. I mean, yeah, that, that is who I am. That is what I used to do. Therefore, we justify sin because it's who we used to be. God changed your nature. He changed your heart and your mind. And before you liked sin and wanted sin, and now you like God and want God. I'm gonna get painstakingly practical here about what this looks like. Every single day that you wake up, when your feet hit the ground out of bed, you ought to take a deep breath in and go, thank you, Jesus, for saving my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my life that I was once dead, I was once lost, I was once destined for hell and you changed my story. It was a but God moment and God, I thank you for that. And, and I don't know where this idea came that like if you have a quiet time in the morning, then like your day's gonna be hunky-dory, like nothing bad's gonna happen. You're gonna have a smile on your face. You're gonna float on air in your office. I don't know who made that up, but if you drive a vehicle in Waco, Texas, then by nine o'clock, you need to remind yourself of this again. Like, I, like, I'm dead serious. I'm convinced that the worst drivers on the planet live right here in Waco. Now, there are good things. There are good things, but you know. There are good things about us. There are good things about this city, but I'm convinced that we're the worst drivers on the planet. I wanna say this. I don't know how you got your driver's license, but when I got mine, I had to go through a course. And in that course, there was a section. And it, what it told me was that when a light is red, you stop. 
And then when a light is green, you go. The amount of times that I'm sitting behind somebody at a green light because they're on Instagram drives me crazy. The amount of times that I stop at a green light and I'm like, oh, it's green, I'm gonna go. And then someone zooms in front of me and almost takes my life, it's crazy. Y'all are a bunch of, I think I can make it people. (laughs) Nah, it's yellow, I think I can make it. For our own safety, okay, calm down. We need to be reminded of this every single day. Moms, goodness gracious, you need to be reminded of this. You, you need to be refreshed by this because I, I, I don't actually get it, but the stresses of being a mom, the stresses of being home with kids and taking care of kids and the chaos of that, like you need to remind yourself daily that he saved you. Men who, who work really hard to provide for your family and work is really stressful and work is really hard or there's family challenges or there's normal life circumstances that are go- coming against you. Every single moment of every single day, oh, but I was destined for hell. Therefore, I've got grace to move forward today. I've got grace to move forward. This is what Hebrews 12, three says. It says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow faint-hearted or weary or faint-hearted. Man, I don't know about you, but there have been times when I feel really faint-hearted. I feel really weary. The thing that I'm hoping for isn't coming to pass. And the scriptures tell us, consider him. Just, just put your mind back on Christ. Put your mind back in Christ. This is what Ephesians 2, six through seven, as we move on says. It says, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So not only does he justify us, not only does he save us by his grace, but, but then he raises us up and puts us in heaven with him. Like this is getting crazier and crazier. And what I want you to see is that Paul is not writing on accident. This isn't like free writing where he's just like, here's some thoughts about God. He's writing very intentionally. And he wants you to see that in the latter chapter, the latter verses of chapter one, there's a progression that Jesus was dead, that he was resurrected, that he was then seated with the, the father in the heavenly places. And then now he has all dominion and all authority. And what Paul's trying to do is he's going, just like Christ, you were spiritually dead, And now I've made you alive together with him. And now I'm seating you in heavenly places with him. This is what Romans 6, 5, 8 says. It says, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. The old you is gone. And Jesus came to pay for a new you and a new walk. In him, in heavenly places. There's, I, I could teach on this and describe this. That being seated in heavenly places, yes, means that you have a new perspective. Yes, means that you have a new vantage point. What you need to know is you're in him, that the work is finished and you're eternally secure. The work is finished and you're eternally secure. Many of you wonder, am I really saved? If you've put your faith in Christ Jesus, you are secure. You should not worry about it, not a single day in this life because you are secure in him in the heavenly places. Ephesians 7 or 2, 7 says that so that in the coming ages, so he does all of this so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So he's rich in mercy, he's rich in grace, he's rich in kindness, and he does all this so that he might show how rich he is. Like, just get that. God is actually saying, I'm doing all this because I wanna show off how rich I am. I always tell people, I'm like, my daddy is rich. He's got pockets, 
but it's not full of green paper. It's not full of gold. It's full of mercy and kindness and grace and love. He has more than you could possibly ever need, more than you could possibly ever imagine. That's what he's rich in. He wants to show off. So this whole deal of you being justified before Christ, even though it was your debt, being lavished and heaped upon your head is mercy and grace and love and salvation when we put our faith in Christ Jesus. And then he elevates us to sit with him in heavenly places, which is a crazy idea. He does all of this. It's so extravagant and it's so unbelievable so that he can show his own glory. Now, here's the thing. There's a prevalent thought that the scriptures are all about us. This is our story, which is true. But predominantly, this is all about him. Like God's after his glory, not yours. He's, he's after his name being known, not yours. At the end of the day, God doesn't sit back and go, I want you to be glorified. He says to himself, I want myself to be majestic. I want myself to be glorified because he's the only thing worthy. He's the only thing that actually is majestic. And so we then turn the page. We've been saved. We've been justified. We put our faith in Christ through the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're walking with him. And then he says this in verse eight. It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. So you're saved by grace through faith. Now, faith is a new concept before you're dead, before you're a lost, and now you have faith in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to take a guess. I don't think any of you have, have shaken the hand of Jesus. Am I wrong? Anybody? Okay, good. If, if you'd said yes, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think any of y'all have, have seen Father God in all of his majesty and all of his glory, that you've walked up to him and had a physical interaction with him. But yet many of you sit in these seats because although you have not seen him, you know he's real. Although you have not seen him, you know that he saved you. Although you haven't seen him, you've seen him move in your life. That's called faith. You're convicted, deeply convicted by something that you cannot see. You and I cannot see Christ except for through the word and except through the interactions that we have and the love that we show to one another. We can't see him in full glory, but yet we are convinced of his full glory. That's faith. So you're saved by grace alone, faith alone, not by your works. It's a gift of God. God gives you this free gift of salvation, not a result of works. And then it says this in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, it's an interesting argument. A lot of times people will use these two verses and go, well, wait a minute. So he's saying good works. And then he's saying by grace, you have been saved. So are we saved by grace alone and faith alone? Or are we saved by grace alone and faith alone with a little bit of works added onto, onto it? And when you read this verse, these verses are not in contrast or contradiction to one another. This is a progression. You've been justified before Christ. You stand before him whole. Then he saves you by his grace, lavishes mercy and grace and salvation upon you. Then he seats you in heavenly places so that you have a different vantage point so that the work is secure and finished. And then he says, and I got a plan for your life. I have a plan for your life. Just like I said before, Jesus did not die for you to be neutral. He died so that you could express his glory on the earth. 
He died so that you could know him and then express him. You are his workmanship. He made you. He created you in Christ Jesus for good works. And God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. So we actually end these verses the very same way that we started these verses. Before you walked in darkness, before you walked in sin and trespass, before you were a child of wrath, and now you walk in good works and in love and in the presence of God. Not only has your old self been crucified and died, but he gave you a new identity and that new identity has a new expression and that expression longs to give glory to God in everything that you do. So I don't know about you in this time, in this age, you are not just church trying to make it. God wants to get you over the just making it. And he wants you to be a glorifier of himself. Hey, I get it. Like I have seasons two years ago, three years ago was the worst season of my life. I was barely making it, barely hanging on. And then God began to move in my life. So we all have seasons of it. But at the end of the day, he wants to use your life to glorify himself for you to walk in good works. God has something planned for you Monday. Okay. Monday. And the only way you know about it is if you read this and go, okay, Holy Spirit, lead me today. What good work, what thing do you want me to accomplish and do? Maybe it's in your family or at your workplace or at the grocery store. Wherever you go, God has good works planned for you to walk in them. I wanna share with you a story as we close. And this is a, an interesting, funny story, but my wife and I, we lived in North Austin. We lived in, in Huddo, Texas. Anybody in here from Huddo? Wait, who, is there really somebody? You're not from there. You lived there for a little while, but you're not from there. Yeah, the, the last service, no one did either. All right, so I'm uh, O for 2000-ish. Uh, nobody's lived in Hutto except for me. I don't, I don't get it. So we lived in North Austin. We lived between Round Rock and Hutto and we rented this little house on 18 acres. It was incredible. The, the scenery was awesome. There was cactus everywhere. There was a lot of trees and it was beautiful. So we decided to do what everyone who has a little bit of land does and we got chickens. All right, and when I say we, I mean, I got chickens. My wife was like, not dealing with it, okay? So I got, I was like, are you gonna eat them eggs when they come out? Anyways, I got chickens. And I start taking care of them, nurturing them. Like I'm straight up mother hen, all right? Everywhere I go, these chickens are waddling behind me. I raise them, they're awesome. They, they sit in my lap, like they were pets to me. I loved these chickens. And one day there's a lady who comes over to our house and she has a son. He's like three and a half, four years old and he's learning words and he's got these new words. And I walk up to him and I'm like, hey buddy, this is, we had just had our son. He's literally like two weeks old. So I don't know anything about kids, okay? And so I walk up to this little guy and I'm like, hey buddy, what's your name? And he goes, adventure. And I'm like, honestly, I'm not surprised in this day and age that your name is adventure. And his, her mom's like, or his mom's like, no, his, his name's not adventure. We're on an adventure. And he's kind of stuck on that word. I'm like, oh, cool. All right. You want to go have some fun? You want to do anything? And he goes, adventure. I'm like, okay, great. And I'm like, you want a glass of water? He's like, adventure. And that's when I gave up on this kid. It's just like, nah, don't got grace for that. And my wife mentioned, she's like, hey, why don't you, why don't you take him to see the chickens? I'm like, all right, fine. So I take him outside and the minute he gets out of the door, he lays eyes on the chickens and his word changes. He goes, chicken, and takes off running after the chickens. And he's chasing the chickens, which you shouldn't do. These are my friends. I love them. Don't chase my chickens. He's chasing after these chickens. And I, you know, there's cactus everywhere. You know, it's probably rattlesnakes in the cactus. And I do what every responsible adult does. And I leave him out there by himself. I walk in the house. I don't even know how long I'm in the house for or why I went in the house, probably just because I just, gave up. But I go in the house and I'm out there and I, I walk out and I come out to a scene, y'all. And this young boy had found one of my big shovels 
And he had gone around and he had killed every single one of my cactuses. Every one of them. Do you think I was going to say chickens? He's three. He's t- y'all are sick, okay? Y'all are sick. No, he had, he had hacked away at all of my, you know, there, there were the spineless type. He had just hacked away at all the cactuses, just went to town and I walk out and it's just like a barren wasteland. And he's got cactus goo all over his face and all over his shirt. And he's holding that shovel with a grin on his face. And I walked up, I said, buddy, what'd you do? And he looks at me square in the face. He looks up and he goes, I not do it. And he says, chicken, and takes off running with my shovel. Now, I I tell you that story. Yes, it's funny, but I tell you that story because as that happened and I processed that, I was like, I feel the Lord say, Austin, that's you with me. Like that's you standing before me with a guilt that you cannot pay for, that you're not even willing to admit that you have, standing there with blood on your hands, holding your sin in your hands, holding your guilt in your hands. And I'm standing before you in love with you, care about you, deeply want to change your world and change your life. And all you've got to do is let it go. All you've got to do is let it go. Open your hands. Trust in me. Give me your faith. Give me your life. And the very debt that you've incurred that you cannot pay for, the very thing that you struggle with, the sin in your life, I wanna make it brand new. And I wanna give you a hope and a future. I wanna give you good works to walk in. Let me tell you right now that I once was lost in sin. I was a young teenager struggling with drugs and alcohol and everything you can imagine. And then God reached into my world, not because I did something good to deserve it. He reached into my world, lifted me out of it from the kingdom of darkness and put me in the kingdom of light. And now I stand on the stage preaching in my hometown. Listen, I run into moms from high school that knew me then and they're like, you do what? I'm like, yeah, God changed my life. They're like, you? Like of all the people that are standing on the stage preaching, you? Yeah, yeah, me. Because at the end of the day, you and me, when we stand before God, if you don't know him, we're all guilty. We're all sinners. We're all in need. And so this morning there's, two ways that I want to close. If you are a Christian here, you would say you have a faith in Christ. You would say that you believe that you are saved. You would say that you believe in what I just talked to you about. Then there ought to be a moment in your heart where you go, yes, I've been saved. That scripture that we read, restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew in me a willing spirit. A lot of times your willingness fades over time because the joy of your salvation also fades with it. It's a lot easier to be willing when you're joyful. It's it's a lot easier to be willing when you realize that I was on a road to hell and God changed my direction completely. I'll do anything he asks. I'll go anywhere he wants. I'm his. I didn't deserve it. And then there are people in the room this morning. Maybe you came with a family member. Maybe you just stumbled in here. It happens every week. People show up and they go, I don't really know why I'm here. Guess what? I know why you're here. You're here because that verse four, it says, but God, rich in mercy, gave himself up for us with the great love with he loved us. He saved us by grace. And so if you have never put your faith in Christ Jesus, today's the day to do that. Today is the day to say, you know what? I associate more with those first three verses of death and lostness than I do with the rest. And I want my story to change. And I want things to turn around. Today's your day to do that. So here's what I wanna do. These endings are always 
quite frankly, a bit awkward. You know, the keys come in and everybody starts to feel it a little bit. Someone says the gospel and then the people come down to pray. And I just want to be very clear, very black and white. There are going to be some people that come down to pray. In fact, they can begin to move right now. They're going to come and pray. And I want to give you very clear direction. And you don't have to do this if you're uncomfortable with this. But if you would say, I'm in that group that I just don't know Christ and I want to put my faith in him, then you move out of your seat and you find somebody, tap somebody on the shoulder next to you, come forward and you say, I'm sick of walking in death. I need Jesus. If you're in here and you've got sickness in your body, you've got hopeless situation in your life or your family, or you're just like, man, I'm so unwilling. I need the joy of my salvation restored and I need prayer. Then then come forward and receive ministry. These people don't stand up here every morning just to look back at you and awkwardly smile. They stand up here to minister to you, with you, encourage you, bless you. So they're gonna come forward and we're gonna pray. And again, if you don't know Christ and you wanna to talk to me or one of our pastors and elders, then you can go right outside that door and get into our Connect Center. I'm gonna pray. And as soon as I say amen, you guys move and come forward for ministry. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. God, thank you that no good deeds of our own has earned us salvation. You did it all by yourself. You did it all on your own because you loved us. And I pray right now for those in the room who've never encountered or experienced that love, to find you today in a real way. And I pray that you would restore even mine, the joy of my salvation, that every single day that I'd be a man who walks in the joy of the fact that you saved me.